if you uh, if you have your Bible open to Psalm 118, uh, that's a that's a good idea because we will want to refer to it this morning uh, a number of times. <clears throat> we want to talk about gratitude, uh, the attitude of gratitude, and uh, maybe we'll start with a bit of a definition, uh, maybe loosely. Uh, the word gratitude comes from the Latin word gratis, and I remember doing gratis at SBC when I was a student there. It was called free labor that you did as part of your uh, role as a student there. It means pleasing or welcome or agreeable, and it's related to the word grace, gratuity, and gratis, as I've already mentioned. Gratitude can be considered an antidote to many forms of suffering, so it's also really a form of spirituality. Gratitude needs no special training. It needs no theological studies uh, or exhaustive practice. It just needs an open heart and the right disposition. <clears throat> Gratitude is actually a vital attribute of our well-being. It's really important to our health, even, to have a spirit of gratitude. I think gratitude shifts us from focusing on the negative to appreciating what is positive in our lives. Psalm 118 that I've chosen as a text for this morning actually gives us reasons for thanksgiving or gratitude. So reasons why we should be grateful. And I've broken it into, into sections uh, for us this, this morning. First of all, the first five verses talk about God's enduring love. And notice the repetition. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. There's a repetition here. It's important. Don't miss it. His love endures forever. We are reminded that God's love endures forever. <clears throat> his enduring love. And I think part of what the psalmist, the poet here, is asking for is that we give testimony to others of God's enduring love. His faithfulness. And the rationale for that gratitude and faithfulness will come in verses 5 to 18. What's the rationale for giving thanks? Recounting past deliverance. So recounting God's faithfulness. Now you may have noticed that I borrowed 12 rocks uh, this week to put here. It's, this is a really small altar. There's 12 there. I didn't want massive boulders because it, although it would be impressive, it might be hard on the stage. But part of the 12 rocks, the altar of 12 rocks is remembering. And I'm going to refer to that at the end of this sermon. God's unfailing love. And this unfailing love that God showed was actually on display when he brought the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and opened up the Red Sea for them. It was also on display when he opened up the Jordan River for them to cross into the Promised Land. And it was on display when he brought them back from exile. And the psalm is written during the post-exilic period. So they're back from exile, but they're still under an oppressive foreign government. And they're still feeling like they need deliverance. So there's, there's a connection here in the eyes and words of the poet between what God did in the past and what he's doing now and the hope of what he's going to do. Verse 6 to 13, God's enduring presence. 
God, we had God's enduring love, but now God's enduring presence. The psalmist is not alone when he faces distress. And he's facing distress, and some of us have faced distress. We've had different things happen in our lives, and, and, and we've experienced distress. The sense of confinement and constraint mentioned here in verse 5 stands in antithesis to God's work of bringing the psalmist into an open place. And it's interesting, uh, our, our English doesn't do it terribly well, but he says, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he's my helper, I look and triumph. It is better to take refuge, he repeats that twice. All the nations surrounded me, they surrounded me, they swarmed around me, and yet he says, he brought me into a spacious place. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, there, there's this sense of narrowness and feeling constricted is the opposite of openness, and openness is deliverance. And don't we sometimes feel constricted by our circumstances and the events in our lives and things, they, they give us claustrophobia, they, they make us uh, uptight, and yet, the psalmist says that salvation and deliverance, open places, is what God brings to us. And then he says, we trust in God, we take refuge in God because mere mortals can do nothing for us. In the midst of crisis, true security can be found in Yahweh. When we feel distressed, when we feel hemmed in, when we feel claustrophobic, because of circumstances beyond our control, we can trust in God for deliverance because he is a faithful and a wonderful God. Notice the repetition, as I've already said in verse 10, 11, and 12. He repeats, they surrounded me three times. But that three times repetition of they surrounded me or to be surrounded or feel claustrophobic or hemmed in is also answered by a three times repetition of the declaration, in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. So this is my circumstance, this is my reality, and folks, gratitude is not a denial of reality. I remember that Monty Python a movie, and I guess I shouldn't bring up Monty Python in church, but he faces this knight that's blocking his path, and he cuts off an arm, and the guy says, you coward, come back at me, and finally he cuts off both arms and both legs, and he's... And he's, he's, you know, a stump on the ground saying, come back and fight like a man. No. Gratitude is not a denial of, of reality. But gratitude is recognizing that our reality is bigger than our circumstances. It's bigger than what's going on. And, and you can't actually deal with what's going on if you deny it. You, you, you may as well just deny it. Admit it. Admit it. Don't deny it. But then recognize that there's more to this picture. God's faithful love, his deliverance, is not whimsical or arbitrary. It is constant. And again, the psalmist is reminded here that God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt when he crossed the Red Sea that same God is going to deliver them again because of his faithful love. 
and he can be trusted to do that. Thirdly, God's enduring advocacy. God's enduring advocacy. Verse 14 to 20, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. And then notice he says, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. Why? Because the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Again, we have this repetition. It's not your strength, it's not your cunning, it's not your wisdom that actually changes the reality here. It's the Lord's right hand, which is a sign of his strength, his omnipotence, his power and wisdom. And it actually echoes the three times reference to Yahweh's right hand in Exodus chapter 15. The Song of Moses after crossing the Red Sea and here, God's right hand. And so the psalmist is pointing back and saying, I have faith today because this is my God and this is what he did. So I may feel like I'm drowning in my circumstances today, but that's not the whole picture because that faithful God yesterday is the same God today. I can trust him because of his right hand. While the first half of Psalm 118 confesses that in the past God has proven his faithfulness as refuge and deliverer, the second half of the psalm actually says that such knowledge leads to hope. That knowledge leads to hope. And we're not talking about hope here like, oh, I hope I win the lottery. Uh, that's not just empty wishfulness. When we talk about hope in the biblical context, it's founded on something much stronger than that. It's founded, hope actually is assurance because of the God that we're talking about. God's people plead for deliverance, not because God is their last hope and only hope, but because God has proven himself faithful generation to generation. God is always faithful. So their hope is grounded in the witness of God's consistent desire to deliver his people. It should not be a surprise to you this morning that God loves you. Yes, he loves us, but he loves you specifically. He loves you, and he cares about you. That doesn't mean that he's going to remove all of the speed bumps in life, but it does mean that he's with you, he loves you, he cares about you, and he is your eternal hope. Number four, verses 21 to 26, God's enduring engagement. You have the atheist that says that there is no God. You have the agnostic that says there might be a God, but we aren't sure. And he's probably hiding under rocks, sleeping if there is a God. Then you have the true believer. Um, it's, it's not that God has forgotten that he's sleeping or hiding under a rock. Uh, or unengaged or uninvolved. So when you think or feel that this world is going down the tubes, it's not because God has gone missing. God is still very much in control, people. He is still very much in control. 
So you and I don't actually need to be fear-mongering or, 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 or caught up in this amazing fear of what's going on in our world because we actually serve a God that's still God. He's still in control. And we need to remind ourselves of that as we go through life. There are a lot of people out there who uh, don't have that assurance. And I think it's kind of unfortunate when believers that have that peace and that hope and that assurance aren't sharing that with those that need it so badly. If we're at the front of the line in fear-mongering, then I think we've kind of lost, lost our, our focus. Let's not, let's not lose our focus. God is still God. And he is continually engaged with us. I will give thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Verse 23, the Lord has done this. The Lord has done it this very day. He's engaged. He's still engaged. I know for the Israelites, when they were going through hard times, then they felt that, that, that there was an apparent distance between them and God. And that distance was a breach of the relationship. But if you feel distance, it's not because God moved. Maybe it's because you've moved. Maybe, maybe that's the case. And yes, the psalmist does recount his plight, and he says, the Lord has chastened me, but he says he hasn't chastened me to death. He's still with me. He continues to rescue me. And yes, the community here in this psalm are in need of saving. They're struggling. And while they admit that Yahweh is the source of their hope, they are in turmoil. And yet, verse 25, the priests are confident that the Lord will bless those who come to them, to him. There's this confidence. Yes, we're struggling, we're in distress, but our hope, our God, is able to come to us and save us. Finally, verse 27 to 29, I've called enduring commitment. Enduring commitment. The confidence expressed in verse 26 is predicated on their confession in verse 27 that the Lord is God. The Lord is God. And yes, Exodus 15, the Song of Moses stands in the background of this psalm because in Exodus 15, verse 11, the question is asked, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who out there, which of the gods is like you, Lord? And of course, the answer, the claim in Exodus 15 and the response here in Psalm 118, verse 27 is clear. Yahweh alone is God. He is God. Yahweh's victory over the nations in Exodus 15 and his victory here in Psalm 118 is reinforcing the claim that our God is God indeed. He's God indeed. And the psalmist affirms that not only is Yahweh God, but he is his God. There's a relationship between him and God. And I hope that this morning you can say that God is God and he is my God. That that is your anchor. That that is your lifeline. And when the storms of life come, you can hang on 
and, and know that God won't let go of you. And of course, the psalm ends, it's poetry. The psalm ends, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Rather than simply offering a perfunctory thank you to God, we might do well to describe the depths of our own trouble. Let's be honest. And the reality of our own helplessness. Let's admit it. Perhaps we're often too self-reliant and too ashamed of our inability to save ourselves. And yet when we confess the depths of our need, we're confronted above all with our need of God. Like the song says, I need thee, oh I need thee, every hour I need thee. As we make this declaration or confession, we're also reminded of the greatness of God's deliverance. And it's probably in those moments that we find ourselves overwhelmed with a sense of true gratitude and thankfulness. The poet, as I've said, makes extensive use of Exodus 14 and 15, a central story in God's narrative with his people. <clears throat> and here he understands that his deliverance is an extension of that story. His narrative is part of the larger narrative of God's work in the world. And you and I need to understand this morning that our stories of deliverance and our reasons for thanksgiving and gratitude in light of the ways that God has gone before us connect us to that narrative. We're part of that narrative. <clears throat> A narrative that gives us reasons for thanksgiving in the present and hope for the future. Yeah, gratitude is sometimes difficult. Isn't that ironic? It seems so easy and innate. God gives, we accept, and are thankful. End of story. But it's rarely that simple and clean. What if you're not in a healthy place to receive God's blessing? What if God takes something or someone away from us? How do we live gratefully in the midst of suffering or simply in the normal messiness of life? I think gratitude means unclenching and opening our hands and our lives. Not just when God wants to give us something shiny and new, but even when he gives us trials. I think true gratitude stems from that kind of receptivity. It's intentional, it's courageous, and it challenges our assumptions of what God's faithfulness looks like during hard times. If we're only grateful during good times, our response hinges on God's gifts to us and our gratitude becomes conditional and weak. We're often irresolute with God because if we're honest, it's easier to be thankful when things are great in our lives than when they are hard. <clears throat> That old adage, count your blessings, it seems trite and overused, but it's actually helpful at its core. Naming those good relationships and good things in our lives is part of actively pursuing gratitude. 
The danger, the danger comes when our warmth toward the giver becomes dependent on the tangible good things he provides rather than the good God he has proven to be. Don't mix that up. Don't mix that up. Then it becomes formulaic and impersonal like a monetary exchange or an unhealthy relationship. You see, God wants us to desire him. He wants us to desire him, the giver, not the gifts alone. He is ever-present and continually giving himself, even when we experience suffering, persecution, sickness, financial burden, relational turmoil, or other hardships. Because God is faithful, we can be receptive to him even when things are difficult. No, that doesn't mean we like the situation or that we have to find some sort of good in it while we're in it. No. This is not denial. And sometimes the only thing we will meet is God himself. (laughs) And guess what? If you meet God because of a trial or a difficulty, then it was well worth it. Because there's no greater prize. I collected these 12 stones because I read Joshua chapter 4 where Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I'm going to admit to you this morning that whether you know it or not, it hasn't always been exactly the way I would have wanted. Uh, We left Nicaragua before I really wanted to. Uh, My allergies forced us to come home from Chihuahua before I wanted to. Uh, We left Guadalajara before I wanted to. Uh, In the last few years, um, I've said goodbye. To a couple of really good co-workers in, in Nicaragua who passed away. I said goodbye to uh, some really good co-workers in Chihuahua that passed away. And today, my best friend in Guadalajara texted me he's having his first chemo today because he has a rare form of leukemia. And, and my best friend growing up passed away. It's to the point where I almost want to tell people, don't, don't become my friend because that's a dangerous deal. So it hasn't always been peachy. That doesn't change the reality that God is good. That God has been present. That God has been faithful. That God has continued to be engaged in my life. That God is committed to being there. And that I can count on him. The circumstances don't change the perspective. Yeah, some of that is hard. And maybe you would tell the same story this morning, that you've lost some people that are really dear to you. Or you've gone through other hardships. 
But you need to read through Psalm 118 over and over again and remind yourself that this God, this God that we worship above everything else, is loving and faithful. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. So this morning, we can say together, God, we are grateful. We are thankful. I'm going to ask Ethan to come up, and while he does, I'm going to pray, and then we'll see. Leroy, you come as well. We'll see if there's some questions or comments, but let me pray while they come up. Heavenly Father, uh, we're here before you this morning uh, thanking you for this psalm of gratitude. And we want to, above all, above the, the noise and the challenges of life, remember your faithfulness. And your faithfulness is not contingent on our circumstances. So, Lord, help us, help us to remember. Uh, maybe we all need to construct a 12-stone altar in our backyard. Uh, maybe we need other ways to remember, but we need to remember your faithfulness because your love endures forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, questions? We'll see if Ethan or Leroy, do you have some questions or comments there? Just a comment from the, from the floor, from the audience. God is not surprised by situations. He has never been surprised. And nothing sneaks up on God. And I'm grateful to serve an unsurprised God. Amen. Amen. That's it? That's, that's it from okay. the... Okay, you the, guys have any questions? Feel you free to, to keep texting in while we keep chatting. Okay. So. Do, you have a, do you have a question or a comment? Uh, no, I, I don't. Okay. Well, we're kind of flat here this morning. I got a comment. Maybe okay. this can... Yep. I think um, for me, I, I consider myself optimistic. Okay. Uh, my wife, my family might say otherwise, but... Um, and that's okay, but I, I was caught by um, something you commented on earlier, well, the Monty Python thing, I guess, okay. maybe, but uh, the visual there, but the idea that, that I think I sometimes get caught in just saying I'm thankful without recognizing the difficulty of a situation, without acknowledging it, whether it's for me or for other people, and so, so the, importance, the importance of acknowledging the pain, the acknowledging the difficult path, and yet being able to to be grateful. I think there's there's a real importance in that. Otherwise, it's just kind of lip service. I, I think that's the beauty of the psalmist of David. It is said that he was a man after God's own heart. Why Why do you think that is? He was completely authentic and transparent with God, and he didn't hold back, and he, he shared everything. Uh, and, and by the way, just because you don't share it with God doesn't mean that he doesn't know it, so you may as well just be honest and share it. Uh, but, but maybe that's part of the healing process, is, is also being completely authentic and honest. Um, I think sometimes we, we need to work harder at being authentic and honest and open with what we're dealing with. And maybe that's part of the start of the healing. Yeah. Okay. No, I got one. I okay. Got one. Oh, yeah, we'll okay. keep, All right. keep, keep moving here. We won't make it easy either. Is God's deliverance from my circumstances guaranteed? 
I'm going to let Ethan answer that. <laughs> it's not like I don't have an opinion, but I'm going to involve Ethan. He's going to let me answer that one, because it's, it's a tricky one. It probably depends what you mean by guaranteed. That would be my answer. Like, uh, it's, there's, there's nothing to say that it won't continue to be tough, right? But, yeah, I don't know if I have a super, super good answer to that other than what I just said. Did, it, it, it's a, a long answer if we want to get into it, but God didn't deliver Israel from all of their circumstances either, uh, nor was the deliverance immediate. I, I think that, that we don't want to have this false view that if you're a follower of God, then everything should be hunky-dory for you. We still live in a fallen world, and, and we still struggle with the challenges of life in a fallen world. The, the difference is that God is with us, and He is our advocate. And when I always say that when, when, when a, a believer dies, in a, in a tragic accident, that God weeps with me when I mourn the loss of a loved one. Uh, so so I, 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 I think we've got to get away from this idea. In fact, the Bible says that he makes the rain fall on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Like, God is a just God. He doesn't only bless the way we look at blessing his own children. All right, you have one more? Two, no? three, four, five. Some, I've got some important ones. I don't know if we have a few minutes okay. yet. But is it okay to be at a place where we struggle to be grateful? Yes. Because if that's where you are, let's be, we talk about being honest and authentic, then, then sure. Any pointers on, on how to move, how to work through that? Talk to a close friend and say, I'm struggling with being grateful. Can you pray for me or can we talk about it? Like, we're part of a body for a reason. So, so, yeah, if, I would, if I'm struggling and go, Leroy, I'm struggling with this. Can, can you and I pray about it? Uh, and, and then you don't say, oh, trust in God and it'll all work out. You know, Thank you. Again, <laughs> right? Yes. Ethan, you can comment? Yeah, just, just the fact that you'd be willing to admit that that's where you are in the first place is probably a good place to start. Yeah. And then, like, if that's where you are, that's where you are. And speaking of, you know, the honesty that comes out of the Psalms, I think it's, that, that comes through to that too, where just being honest in what you're feeling. Don't you think, Ethan, it would be so sad, we're all part of a family, it would be so sad this morning, if out of all of these folks sitting here this morning with us, there were two or three people that are just completely broken on the inside, but, but we're looking like we're all together and then we leave the way we came. A different picture would be if somebody that is sitting there and is struggling and is broken is able to go to somebody and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with, and then we can pray for you or talk to you. Like, isn't that what family is about? Like, and, and it's so important to keep up appearances. But that, that's, that, in family, you know, you don't have to worry quite as much about keeping up appearances. I put a hat on to cover my hair that's not in great shape because I didn't want to wash my hair that morning. I'm not worried about appearances in my house. 
We, we need to be authentic with each other as a family.